verse is, and that truth from the living word of God is the reality of this verse based on truth and not on man's ideas. Because if it's just on ideas from man, it's just sappy and it's just romantic and it's honestly fake news, if you will, (laughs) because the truth feels like that isn't true. Because I don't feel beautiful. I know better. I see my flaws. My husband sees my flaws. (laughs) My family, my weird ask is out there for everyone. Our bosses, anybody that we engage with really knows better. So just to say you are all together, beautiful. There's no flaw in you. It's like a motivational poster. It's just meaningless if it actually isn't backed up with truth. So much of what we see, what we're exposed to, is meant to woo us in in life, isn't it? Draw us in to buy something, right? To share an experience, to eat something, to wear something. Thank you, Zulily, on Facebook ads. You're killing me. (laughs) And while that is fine, and it's fun, and it's interesting, when it comes to just enjoying life in the moment, it really doesn't truly satisfy, not in a deeply real way, not really, not in a lasting way. And the world says we're worthy and we're worth it. But why then are we sadder? Why are we more lonely? Why are we less fulfilled than any other time in history? Why is suicide a national crisis now? Because the platitudes are meaningless if they're not anchored in a truth that's beyond ourselves. So I'm going to talk about my story today and circle back to that idea throughout. And, you know, I don't know if you're like me, but whenever I hear someone stand up and say they're going to share their testimony or their story, I'm like, oh, (laughs) what did she do? (laughs) What was she into? What life of crime did she lead? You know, what are we going to get the dish on? You're like scrolling through my Instagram. Can I find any dish on her real quick before she gets going on it so you can guess the ending? (laughs) I know, I know. I'm that person. So um, I'm going to tell you right now that my life is not a life of debauchery that I somehow recovered from, sliding off the edge (laughs) into some horrible life of, of crime and then up again out of the gutter. I just don't have one of those testimonies. But... My story does involve a bit of a hidden life, a secret life. My story can be summarized pretty simply from wrecked to restored. And um, I know it'll resonate with at least one of you in this room, maybe two, um, because that's just the nature of us being women. Maybe you'll relate to that, what I'll be sharing. And maybe you're in that process yourself of feeling pretty wrecked right now, and you're waiting to be restored We're all in this journey together, side by side. And I love how Kim introduced this weekend as a reminder that we're here for transparency and and really being real with one another. Thank you for setting that intention yesterday. It's so important for us. But we're all here from some kind of place of brokenness, right? And we really just want the same thing. We want to be restored So I'm going to share with you how that has happened in my life and how that is still happening. And I certainly have not uh, arrived, but that's going to be the core of my opening talk today. And my timeline as I share my story is going to kind of jump back and forth a bit. And we're going to start off in junior high. Oh, that glorious time of junior high. (laughs) Don't we all just want to go back and erase it all the time? (laughs) 
but junior high was a time for me growing up where I was growing out of the uh, strawberry shortcake phase. Ever? <laughs> Holly Hobby, anyone? Anyone? <laughs> um, and we, I was moving into Dittos and Jordache jeans and Shemendifer and all those styles, which all the cool junior high girls were wearing, but I was not one of the cool junior high girls. <laughs> at all. Uh, I was a PK. That means I was a pastor's kid, if you know that lingo at all. So while most of my friends got the new jeans, I got hand-me-downs, or even better, my mom, my sweet, creative, industrious, Proverbs 31 mom, sewed our clothing. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so we had, <laughs> right? And uh, we all had matching outfits, my sisters and I, even my dad, like all of us had like some plaid outfit for Easter with frills and whatnot on it. And when I really, 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 really wanted ditto jeans, she decided that she could figure out how to make ditto jeans. And you know, you know the ditto jeans I'm talking about ones that all nice and snug uh, around your hip, and they have the cool bell bottoms. But the signature style of ditto jeans, what was it? Saddleback, the stitch that came up and down. All right, so I was used to my mom sewing for us growing up. Uh, like I said, we we had matching outfits for every season, every holiday. Uh, she quilted. She was a published quilt artist. So this is no like schmuck it seamstress, my mom. She could sew really, really, really well. But jeans? <laughs> so I was in junior high, and that could literally destroy my life, right? If I show <laughs> literally my life would be over. Um, I could probably end up looking like something off of the Little House on the Prairie st- set. But uh, my mom was very committed to the idea of me and having these ditto jeans, bless her heart. So if you know someone who loves to sew, you might relate very much to this next moment. Who are my seamstresses out there? Who are children of seamstresses out there? Okay. <laughs> so we're at home. My mom is working on this pattern that she's going to create, and she's on the floor of her sewing room. Fabric here, there, if you know that the visual there, um, and that thin paper that pattern paper, and pins, 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 so many pins. We had a rule, do not walk into that room with bare feet on it. There was just no way you will come out like a stuck pig. And so I walked in on her, and she's working hard and thinking all this through and, and, and focused, and I peek around the corner, and I see her on the floor surrounded by all of that mess, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, so bad. Why did I sign off? Why did I say, oh, sure, Mom, make me diddle pants? Um, because it's just a mess. And I'm like, I am over. I am going to just crawl into a hole and come out sometime in college, I guess. I don't know when, but I have to get through the season. I cannot wear these pants. And so while I should, 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 should have kept those thoughts inside my brain, I... I open my mouth <laughs> to a mom who's holding her sharp fiskers, you know, the ones that she usually would hide so no one else would cut, like my dad cut aluminum foil with them or something, and her mouth full of pins, remember that? And she could still talk, right? And then she's got weapons that so she can fire at you right there. But I did not keep those thoughts in my brain. I let them gush out of my mind. And have you ever immediately regretted something so much, so fast that you just felt like the world could just swallow up inside your mouth? And I said those thoughts, Mom, I don't think this is going to work out. And she looked up at me from that carpeted floor with the pins in her mouth. And she didn't yell at me, which is almost worse, you know. She just gave me that that look. And she managed to say, do you trust me? (laughs) 
do you trust me? For those of you who need a translation of that, like kind of a Clint Eastwood look in her eye. <laughs> and I managed this wide-eyed nod. And uh, she put her head back down, got back to work, and I scooted on away. And I knew one thing. I lied. I totally did not trust her at all. <laughs> in no way could I see this coming out and anything that must end in me just like completely wanting to leave junior high. But I said it because I knew her. I, I knew she really was quite amazing, really hardworking, really gifted. Did I trust her? Yes and no, not really. But what choice did I have? And so I ended up crafting this crazy scenario. Do you ever do that when you're in a situation? You're just like, imagine all the possible outcomes. And I put this scenario into my brain about how the jeans would be done and how they would totally look homemade and how I didn't want to hurt my mom's feelings. So I would just wear them out the door to school that or take her picture of me. And then I would carry another pair of jeans, you know, with me somehow, even if they had to be tough skins. Remember tough skins oh my gosh. <laughs> from yeah. Sears? Um, and so I try to visualize how this is all going to happen. All right. So how did it all happen? But ended up with the ditto jeans. You're going to have to wait to the end of my talk to hear. <laughs> all right. So now we're going to fast forward to August 20th of 1988. Wedding bells are chiming and my husband and I are getting married. And that's where the next part of my story begins. And really the next part of what I call a slow motion wreck. And it started with a picture-perfect marriage in 1988. I married my college sweetheart right out of West, Westmont College. And um, the wreck began, slow motion wreck. And my story from this point forward is a scene of my husband's multiple addictions, involved his uh, spousal abuse, rage, depression, and ultimately my husband's infidelity, which I discovered in 2004. And so I want to take you back to that moment in 2004, five days before Christmas. I was sitting in my car in the garage, sobbing, shaking, screaming. The doors of the car were shut. The windows were rolled up because it was the most quiet and the most solitary place that I could think of. And I just found out my husband had been having this affair. And the pain, as you can imagine, was crushing on me. And you can feel that kind of pain. It overwhelms you. It really does feel like pins in you. And it's sapping all the breath out of you. So I was just crying and screaming, a lot of pain, a lot of anguish. I just needed to be small. I wanted to disappear. I wanted to just vanish into nothing. And I was shuddering as images of him and this other woman crashed into my mind. And I cringed at the thought of this double life that he'd been living and I'd been living with him for all that time, so I started to worry about my physical health and what I had been exposed to, everything just crashing in, you know? So the years leading up to this big moment, this ultimate wreck, weren't seasons of normal, happy, married life and normal, challenging times. We were infertile for seven years, and God miraculously enabled us to have a child. We had fun family vacations. We had times together like a regular-looking couple would. But in between those moments, there were serious issues. My husband had a temper. He was addicted to pornography. He had been in jail for assaulting a neighbor. I even had to get a restraining order against him. And here's what's ironic. During those ugly, angry times, I actually used to pray that he would just have an affair. And that's weird. I know. It's messed up. But it was my reasoning as a Christian, that crazy scenario I had painted. I really felt like divorce, if he had had the affair, would be the most legitimate get-out-of-jail-free card I could finally find out of the Bible because, of course, God hates divorce. 
but um, that's the reason why women can get divorced. And I knew that was bad thinking and not good training in my mind, but it was what I felt like I could survive. And now here I was sobbing uncontrollably in the car, and those weird thoughts in that crazy scenario was actually true now. I felt so small and so frozen and so scared, too scared to open the car door. But what happened next is why I'm here today. What happened next is why I'm standing up and why I'm not in a heap somewhere still surviving my life. I did open the car door. I breathed deeply. I moved, just moved back up into the house, the dark house where my seven-year-old son was sleeping upstairs. It was five days before Christmas and the only lights that were on in the house were the white ones that were on the Christmas tree. The tree was decorated, presents were wrapped, they were ready. Really, it was a perfect Hallmark card scene. Only except for a romantic couple sitting by the fire was an ugly crying woman. (laughs) Ugly crying, not me ugly, but either way, but you know what I mean. Ugly crying, sitting there on the sofa, trembling in the dark, curled up. What was I going to do? I was in so much shock. Anger boiling around inside of me. I couldn't stop spinning until I looked at that tree and I saw the ornaments. And what are ornaments? Memories. Little moments in time hanging on your tree. Our first engagement, our first, our only engagement, our engagement, our first house, the trip to Mammoth, baby's first Christmas. The tree represented years of our life. Every ornament was like a question. Was it real on every one of them hanging? And I just really wanted to rip that tree apart, throw every ornament and every memory into the fire, every little lie up there on the tree twinkling at me. But I thought about my son sleeping upstairs and he was looking forward to this Christmas and I just kept on doing something, kept from doing something rash. And I didn't end up doing any of that. I just stayed there, kind of silent screaming, and I cried out to God, where do I go? Who can deliver me from this pain? Can I ever move on? What do I do? Help me. Help me, God. I just wanted the pain to end. Christmas Day was coming, and like I said, it was five days before Christmas, and I had no desire to celebrate. I felt as rejected as a woman can feel, unwanted, Alone, unattractive, scared, hopeless. And I just wept again, that ugly crying. And I cried out an incoherent prayer to God. And I didn't expect an answer. I don't know what I expected. But here's what happened. I heard from God. (laughs) I mean, I didn't hear a voice. I felt it, though. I felt it. You know, if I came to you crying, Stephanie, asking for an answer... I would hear your words back to me in order, right? You know, first you'd say this, and then you'd say that, and I'd nod, and then you'd say something else, right, ladies? And we'd receive it all in order, right? But it wasn't like that at all when I heard from God. I heard him speaking, but I heard it all at once. The best way I could describe it is like the difference between a thin aroma of fresh bread coming to you, and then the aroma of walking into a bakery and the aroma surrounding you completely. Or the difference between smelling a flower or walking into a rose garden. Maybe even better, the difference between a single voice singing 
and a choir filling the room with song. And God met me. And the only way I can tell you is in a linear way. One idea at a time. But for me, in that moment, it just washed all over me. It filled me. It overwhelmed me. In this dark moment, God sung to me. And the song was a wooing song, a soothing song, a lullaby as much as it was a captivating theme song surrounding me. First, the fear went away. And peace flooded my soul. You know, God's word says that he will give us peace that guard our hearts and guard our minds. But the verse right before that, well, let me just read it to you. Listen. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So up to that moment, I had kind of an image of prayer and petition and thanksgiving as nice orderly prayer time alone in my quiet room or in a group or presenting my request to God, kind of like presenting a request for time off from the boss or something like I would just present my request to God. But this was a kind of guttural, nonlinear prayer. And it wasn't orderly, and it wasn't calm. It didn't even have words. It was just me gasping and crying and screaming out to God. And, you know, David, King David, wrote about a moment like this in his own life. Where, like me, he felt like he was drowning in death. Open your Bibles to Psalm 18. Psalm 18. And while you get there, I'm going to go ahead and, and just read you into it. Psalm 18, David opens, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. Listen to verse 4, Psalm 18, verse 4. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me, verse 6. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. That's what I did. I was tangled in death. I was tangled in darkness. I was overcome by fear. I loved the Lord, like David said in Psalm 18, verse 1. I loved him, and I cried out to my God for help. Help me, God. Deliver me, God. What do I do now, God? And God sung hope around me, and he poured peace into me, and he broke through with his bravery so that I could borrow for the moment. And I sat there in the middle of that ugly moment, and I breathed. Now listen to how David describes God's response when he did the same. If the song that God sung over me was a tender, soothing lullaby of a ballad, the song that David heard was like death metal. You know the difference between that two genre of music? is like ah, screaming. I know, my, my son's in a death metal band. And, uh, and so listen to the, to the type of delivery David experience from God it's loud and it's bold and it's really dramatic it just shifts the sound of it from the temple he heard my voice my cry came before him into his ears the earth trembled and quaked and the fountains foundations of the mountains shook and they trembled because he was angry Smoke rose from his nostrils, consuming fire came from his mouth, burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. 
He made darkness his covering and his canopy around him. The dark rain clouds of the sky, out of the brightness of his presence, cloud advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy with great bolts of lightning. He routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare at your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of your breath from your nostrils. And here's the deal. God came to David and God came to me. And he came to each of us in the way that we needed him to come in that moment. Me, devastated, wounded, broken. I needed a tender song. I needed a loving father. I needed the softness of, of the pillows around me. I needed him swooping in with a hopeful song. That was the theme I needed. David, David was hunted and persecuted. David was the anointed king and he needed a warrior. So God comes dramatically in, charging with thunder and lightning. Listen, listen. You know that God could have gotten all of this whole thing, everything around us. He could have gotten this whole thing rolling when he created the world. He could have just pulled the ripcord and let it all run its course. He could have spun the earth on its axis and placed us here and sat back and watched the show, eating popcorn or whatever God does up there. <laughs> but he didn't stay away. God is near. And he's not just near, he's involved. You know, when God first called Adam and Eve in the garden, he was near. When God first set apart his people, he rescued them from slavery in Egypt. Not only was he near, but his nearness was actually a talking point among the people. Listen to what God says in Deuteronomy 4. Verse 7, what other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? In fact, if you want a really great devotional, you're not sure what to study, and you wake up in the morning like, all right, Lord, I, just, I don't know what to do. I'm going to finish this book. I haven't started the new one yet. What should I read? Study the word near. Just do a word study on the word near and write all the verses that you can find that relate to God being near to us and add in the search word Right hand, the right hand of God. Listen to Psalm 16. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. That's how near he is, my right hand. <laughs> I will not be shaken, Psalm 34. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So God was near to, near to me that night and I was brokenhearted. I was crushed in spirit and I felt the Lord near to me. And listen to what David says about why God was near. You might think, well, that's his job. I mean, he's God. He should be near. That's what he, you know, we pay, for, pay him for, right? <laughs> okay, God, get my tithe, go to church, do my thing. You're near. I got you a beck and call, right? Well, David was the anointed king. Shouldn't God just jump in and protect him? And he anointed him. But maybe that's true. But listen, God isn't just doing his job when he's near. Listen, God's not just being God when he's near you. When he shows up, when he speaks to you, it's not just part of his job description. He doesn't just have to do it. Listen to David's words, highlight it, underline it, put a scratch and stiff snicker on it if you want. Listen, he reached down, verse 16, from on high and he took hold of me and he drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. 
They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. Why? He rescued me because he, underline it, delighted in me. God delighted in David. He wasn't just impressed. He didn't just anoint him and move on with his God life and all the things that God does. David right? he rescued me because he delighted in me. Underline that. Take that. Hold that truth. God delights in his own. God delights in his own. So not only did God answer my anguish and restore my soul, he answered a very specific question that I had. What do I do? What's next? And in the moment of the song surrounding me, I heard him say as clearly as you're hearing my voice right now, God said, forgive him. Forgive my husband. Forgive my cheating, addicted, abusive, rageful, angry, hurt, hurting husband. Forgive him. I heard it. I wanted to be free at peace. I wanted to hope, and honestly, I wanted to be done. I wanted to hear him whisper the number of a good divorce attorney, really, actually. (laughs) No way was I ready to forgive. Too soon. Too much pain. But I asked God a very specific question. God gave me a really simple answer. He said, forgive. So, sitting there by the tree with those lights and the ornaments and the memories, I thought about the gospel, the good news that was born on Christmas. And honestly, I didn't have a hallmark moment. I couldn't connect with any of that at all. The good news it wasn't, didn't feel good at all to me. I heard the words. I felt the peace. And while I can't explain what took place again in my spirit over the next several hours, I know this. I presented a request to God. What do I do? And he answered, I could breathe. I could trust God who reached around me, who delighted in me. Maybe I could trust him to forgive. Sometime, maybe, eventually. So, I... um, I told my husband, I reached out to him. He was he had left the, the house by then. Um, I told him it, that he could come home on Christmas morning. Um, and he did. He came home, and we held strong for our, our little boy, our little Jonathan. And it wasn't like, I forgive you, hugs, let's move on, hashtag blessed. <laughs> it wasn't one of those moments, but it was just obedience and God telling me, and so I did. And we wept. And again, we held strong for our son in that moment. And we let Jonathan have a really beautiful Christmas. And for three months, my husband stayed away out of the home, getting help, working on himself, working to be able to come home. And that's another part of our story. For now, let me just tell you this. I was able to go through what we went through because of the power of hope in God, the power of truth from God, the strength in having a God who sees. Like Abraham's maid, Hagar, who was sent out and rejected she met God, the God who sees, she called him, El Roy. It says in Genesis 16, she gave this name to God, who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. But listen, ladies, listen. The hope I had wasn't just some good, happy, best life now thinking, positive, motivational talk. Understand that. Really, hear me. 
the hope I had restored me because of where that hope was anchored. And I think we're prone to get off in our thinking about how all this works, this trusting and this believing in God thing. We hear, if I just do this or if I just do that, if I, I just pray this way or go to this church or to learn these verses or read that book. And, but ladies, none of that is our anchor. None of that is. The anchor of our hope, listen, is the unshakable character of God and his perfect love for us. That's the anchor of our hope. It's not that all things will work out for good. So when your husband breaks his marriage vow, you just recite that verse. All things work out for good. Although that is true. All things do according to, you know, that's the Bible. It's true. It's not that I'll get the desires of my heart if I commit myself to him and my ways to God. That's true. And that's a true promise as well. You can't just toss out those promises on the dung heap of our lives when our marriage and our health and our finances and our relationships are going up in stinky flames and wait for those verses to lift us up and out of that moment. Listen to what Hebrews 6 actually says about the anchor of our hope. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19. Hebrews 6. What anchors our soul? What is it? This hope. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. And that's a beautiful verse to quote, but it's ripping it out of context if we don't back up and take a look at what it says. Let's get a running start at Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 17. When God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the, underline this in your Bible, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Our hope, the hope that we have is confident assurance. It's an anchor for our soul. It can't slip and it can't break down under whatever pressure is put on it. The steadfast, the safe hope, a hope that we have the hope that came to me on Christmas Eve, that true hope is only something that Jesus can really bring to us. So ladies, that's the anchor of our hope. And it's weighed down and bound by these two. Number one, the unchangeable character of God's purpose. Number two, Jesus, who fulfilled God's purpose and redeemed each of us. That's what our hope is anchored on. My hope was not in wishful thinking. Why I could hear and respond and have confidence in the song that God was saying over me that night was that my hope was anchored, as the beautiful song says, in Jesus' blood and righteousness. God wooed me with his love and his comfort and his grace and his peace that night. And he reminded me in this gentle yet strong way that my hope was sure because his love was certain. And my hope was true because his vow was true. And because of that certainty, when he asked me to forgive and stay in a broken marriage, I trusted him that somehow I would be able to forgive and stay. And hear my heart on this, ladies. Hear my heart. Right now, some of you are really challenged by what I'm saying. Maybe your marriage is broken too. Maybe it broke. Maybe you've suffered in a lot of darkness as well, but you didn't or you couldn't stay. I hope you'll hang in there with me as I continue. Because for those of you who are hurting, I want you to hear what God that God told me to forgive and stay. When I made that mental decision to let the foundation of God's character rule my life, I made that vow that I was willing to commit to God to fulfill everything else just faded out. I just focused on that. 
And I want to speak to the women in the room here today who either know someone who's suffering through physical abuse, emotional, sexual abuse in a marriage, or you yourself have been there. Maybe you're there right now. Not standing here as your speaker today. I'm not here to say that I allowed my husband to remain abusive and allowed him to continue on without consequence. I'm not saying that we're married today because I didn't allow it. And I did stand up and I didn't stand on my own. I stood on God's promises, promises that God had given me a very specific word, forgive and stay. That peace that I felt so deeply that night, that courage came from that peace. And my heart this morning is not to lay out the plan for what you should do. My story is different. Your story is different, right? If all of our stories were basically the same, then we'd all literally have to cross the Red Sea and be rescued from the Egyptians at some point. But God has different plans and different purposes in each of our lives, with the exception that all of us are to be glorifying him. And all of us need to be praying how God would be glorified in our lives when we're responsive to him in the circumstances that he does bring us through. So God told me to forgive and stay. God might tell you to forgive and leave, but you're going to need to forgive either way. I'm just going to tell you that. That's the non-negotiable part. Non-negotiable part. Forgive and stay. That was my mandate. Forgive and go. That might be yours. So after three months apart, it was all hugs and kisses after that, right? <laughs> Not quite. Not quite. Um, you would think, you would think, oh, God bless him. Uh, you would think that hitting that big of a rock bottom that my husband finally would have been done with it all. And that's not what happened. In spite of the healing and the reconciliation, my husband still struggled with depression, with anger, anxiety, and still had not found complete healing. In fact, he turned from one addiction to another and he began drinking. And again, I went to God like, all right, I did the forgiving thing. <laughs> I, I did the staying thing. And um, so um, can I get out now? <laughs> um, and God said, no, I want you to stay. And I promised God, honestly, I promised my husband for better or for worse, sickness or health. And boy, was this getting worse. And this was really sick. At this point, I started to think about my life. Maybe you can relate to this. And I asked the why question. Why? I must be so broken. I'm so unworthy anyone it's such a bad bad i must be bad in some way all this would be happening to me and there's this warped kind of thinking that we go through to try to make sense of it all because we grew up in school and one plus one just equal two there's a linear logic to life and so you start seeing everything going on you're like cause and effect okay i guess i'm it like i'm the central you know what goes back to is one of my favorite movies the sound of music sound of music i love that music and um in in that in that musical, there's some really fun, beautiful, romantic scenes. If you've never seen the movie, you really need to, to see it. Um, but there's a song that, that uh, Maria sings, Somewhere in my um, wicked, miserable youth or childhood, I must have done something what? Good. Why? Because she's got the captain now. So somehow, I, I was miserable and horrible, but I must have done something good because I got the captain now, kisses and love and everybody, and they're escaping Austria. Right. But that's not biblically sound, is it? That's like karma, really. Like you <laughs> you get what you deserve in the end. And what we learn about grace and God's love is that we, we don't get what we deserve. We don't get death penalty. We, Christ died for us. We didn't deserve that, right? So that kind of messed up thinking came into my brain, that kind of Maria sound of music thinking, I must have done something really bad because I've got something really bad. And I got started twisted in how um, I was approaching my life. And that's bad theology, and that's a really big problem. And that's a problem that a lot of women have, actually, because the core part of the reason why we're actually struggling to get a grip on reality, what we're going through. So I started looking wrongly for what I possibly could have done, me ending up in a marriage with this man who was abusive. What did I miss? 
And here's where God started to show me in this lovely romantic scenes that movies are all like. Our mind wants to equate, again, one plus one equals two. We, we want it all to work out like that. But God's grace doesn't work like that. It's rooted in hope, that kind of thinking. It isn't rooted in hope, that kind of thinking actually either. It's actually rooted in pride, right? It is, if you think about it. If I do this and I do that, I deserve to get this in the end. That's pride. I deserve this. I was good. I was good again. I should get something good in the end. It's kindergarten. You know, put a little M&M in the jar and everybody in the class wins a prize. It's just not Christian. That is not what the Bible teaches us. So when you start questioning God, why does God allow these types of things? Why is this all happening to me? I'm not that bad. I'm not Hitler for crying out loud. Like I should have something else better happening in my life. And then when you can't find a reason for it, that's when shame comes in. These building walls come in. And we start coming up in our own life and it, we ruin the transparency that we have with people because we look around and we see everybody else looks like they're doing fine. Everybody else's toes are manicured. Fingernails are done. Hair is quaffed. Everything's good. And we do this comparison thing. It, it, we, we imagine everybody else must have their act together because no one's walking around like I am, which I felt like I was just going to crumble inside of me. That, that moment where you just realize, I can't even handle this anymore. How fake this all feels. No one actually even knows. If anybody had talked to me, if anyone had actually come to me and really dug deep into what was going on in my life at that time, nobody knew anything. No one was real. I wasn't real back either. It was too scary really, to talk about that. It wasn't my story to tell in the sense it was my husband's, everything he was going through. But this is going to sound really obvious. <laughs> Get ready for like, what? That's so obvious. Um, this is going to sound really obvious. But um, God started wooing me again, and this time it wasn't in the midst of extreme trauma. It was just walking through life. And I was walking literally at night, and I looked up, and I thought, hey, God made all that. <laughs> like, that's the obvious part. Like, I looked up at the stars, I looked up at the sky, and I thought, wow, he made that whole world, and that was my big moment. There we go, end of talk. Yay, God made the world. No, God wooed me with like a, a no-duh moment. I mean, God does that too. Like, he woos us with romantic songs, and this was more like a, the no-duh moment, right? That. Hear me out. It's like when you see a verse for the hundredth time, and you finally go, <laughs> that moment occurred to me, the mountains and the sky and the stars and giraffes and bugs and all that stuff. God made that all. And he was speaking to my heart and he was reminding me that he spoke everything into existence and he's in control of this entire world and continued to remind me that, that he's got the whole world in his hands, you know, the song, but I'm included in that. And I, I started letting it be more personal and I, I wasn't crushed under the despair of my husband cheating on me. I was being weighed down at this moment by my own heavy arms, keeping God out there and in charge of the world. All caps, world, W-O-R-L-D. And that was fine, but not involved in my life because if he really did care, then wouldn't he have actually healed my husband? Would he have truly restored our marriage by now for good? And I realized that God may have the whole world in his hands, but I was fine just to slip through his fingers and be ignored because that's how it was starting to feel to me, ignored anyway. And maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you need an opportunity to shift in your simplistic view and your understanding of God, that he's unchanging and that he holds the universe together and that he can hold you as well. Maybe you need to shift in your heart and remember that you can be in a relationship of absolute brutal transparency with the creator of the entire universe and he wants a relationship with you. Right, so... I saw God for a long time as the savior of everything big. I wasn't seeing him as the savior of me personally and small. 
my eternal security yeah all the big doctrinal things yes no problem but for me my personal life and all that was going on I was starting to lose hope that it was going to be never fixed so I hope that this will connect also with your heart because as I turn my heart away from my own sad self and toward the truth of the word over and over and over and over again God just kept on confirming and enabling me with the power of his word and I grew closer to him more close than I had ever been before and your restored hope doesn't mean listen listen your restored hope doesn't mean it's all going to get fixed please let that go your definition of fixed is not necessarily God's and the truth is deep breath ready the truth is it might not get fixed according to your definition and it might not get fixed at all this side of heaven all right there is hope there is hope listen hope is bigger than god fixing the problem hope is bigger than god fixing the problem it's more lasting than god stopping the pain and honestly in the moments of anguish most of us just want god to be some kind of cosmic advil or better zoloft really <laughs> Listen. God's plan is to redeem your life, and not rescue you from your problems. Amen? Amen. I mean, it's surely a bonus if we get rescued and everything does get fixed, a little cherry on top. It's nice, right? But that's not your promise. Your life gets redeemed. Listen to what Job or is it Job? Job. Job. <laughs> Listen to what Job, I'll never say it right now. Listen to what Job says in Job 13. I love the King James Version, Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And in chapter 19, I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end, he will stand on earth. That's what your hope is. And so think about this. The vast majority of messages we're hearing or reading or watching on TV, motivational talks, keep telling us to think positively. Keep going trust God even really big concepts like that they're great on the surface but what's at the core why can we think pos positively why can we have hope I have a friend who's um, almost 90 right now uh, she was living in Los Angeles many 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 years ago downtown LA and uh, she told me this fascinating story and um, if you've ever been Ever, ever driven into downtown LA you've seen this if you haven't you've probably seen it in movies because there's a bridge in LA called the 6th Street Bridge anyone familiar with it 6th Street Bridge and uh, you see it in movies like Terminator action group people are like oh yeah yeah I totally know that um, Columbo TV show was filmed on that The Great Race okay so 6th Street Bridge 6th Street Bridge super strong super stable but inside of that bridge there was this really unique and rare chemical reaction that was happening inside the structure inside all of that and um, it was beginning to crumble the bridge was from the inside out it looked fine still on the outside but it was literally becoming an actual death trap and the day came where they were going to demolish this um, bridge and uh, they actually invited guests to come out and take a piece of the bridge home with them so it was like a memento but when they started breaking it open they, there weren't even any rocks to be had everything was dust inside of it it had crumbled that much people just had little cups of dust 
because of this chemical reaction that happened inside the bridge. And honestly, listen, ladies, when we continue to hold on to worldly hopes, even these Christianish little models and hope quotes that reduce the Bible to inspirational literature or a self-help book, we're stepping out on a bridge of faith and hoping that something that only looks stable, but on the inside it's empty, it's decaying, or worse, it's death. It's a death trap, and we've missed the target of our hope. And my, my hope, my desire in preparing this talk for you is that you would think bigger and you would think deeper and wider and that you would hear my heart on not only what God says about this, but that we would have hope in what God really means. So I'm not standing here today saying that I'm just nodding and smiling and everything's going to work out okay. And if you're catching any kind of that vibe for me, I'm not that kind of person. I'm asking you to grasp that your definition of fine might not be the same as God's and that that's better. And it's potentially not pretty, but that's not our goal. And that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. So if I could go back and I could ask my 20-year-old self in 1988 when I was getting married to my husband, if I would repeat it exactly like this and if I would live this all over again, I would say no, no, no. I'm not that person like, oh, so spiritual. I would just do it all over again. No, I would not. I want my husband whole when I married him and, and well and all that. But because of what we have gone through, I do. I am able to stand and a stronger foundation of hope that I've really actually lived through in my life. So it was 2013. As I told you at the beginning, I was going to hop through some timelines with you. It was 2013. We'll fast forward to that. And Glenn's alcoholism, my husband's alcoholism, had actually gotten worse. He was completely out of control at this time. He'd not even fully given up his addiction to porn. I, I believe, based on some of the things that were going on, um, opportunities that God was actually giving me, I thought he was helping me to earn some independent income and, and get out of the marriage eventually. And so between me and God, I was just working toward that end by that moment. Um, I didn't feel like there was any more working with my husband. My mind was done. Um, I felt like I'd been through so much. He is not moving forward. And this is really, 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 really unhealthy. On May 4th, in a very drunken rage in 2013, I was away. I was at work and um, I got a call. My husband was driving around Norwalk, basically like a crazy person. And he had our 17-year-old son with him in the car. And so my son um, basically had to jump out of the car to escape my husband. Um, at that moment, hey, he called me panicking about what was going on. And I, I just hung up with him and I raced home. I packed all of my belongings. That's it. I'm done. You know, you mess with me, but you don't mess with my kid. Mama bear time, right? Yeah. What that is about us. But anyway, woo. All right. That's it. Um, if he even made it home, I thought he will come home to an empty home. But that weekend... That weekend, after years of drinking and violence and rage, Glenn actually did finally hit rock bottom enough to get sober. <laughs> Cinco de Mayo, ironically, the next day. Um, <laughs> uh, but he's been sober since May, um, May 5th of 2013. Amen. Glory to God. And now he sobered up and he actually ended up in accountability. He confessed everything to our pastor. Right. When he got sobered up enough to talk to me, um, he was sorry. Um, I'm going to get help. And I said, you're right. You're going to get help. I might have not just said, you're right. You're going to get help. <laughs> um, but like the psalmist said in Psalm 126, but I had sown in tears. I was reaping now in joy. And I am now also today able to stand here because of that terrible experience, life story. Um, but I'm here today because of it. Remember that God's timeline is not yours. 
We really just feel like we have a sense of how things should go, right? And God gave us that. We're, we're made for this sense that it shouldn't be like this. Why? Because we're made for Eden. We, our, our destiny is beyond this. That's why we feel such discontent inside when it goes wrong. We have a sense that it shouldn't be like this. And here's the deal. When someone gets well and someone gets whole and someone gets help, um, they don't get a personality transplant. <laughs> they're just not an addict anymore <laughs> to that addiction. Um, they're just a normal human person now. We just don't have as many of the baggages. So we still have like normal marriage issues that we can actually um, work through. All right. Maybe you're done in your own mind with what you're going through. Maybe you're on the other side of it. Maybe you're just still going through it. What I can say is that you can release your dreams. You can let God support you and love you and woo you in ways that could not possibly have ever imagined to you. And like Solomon swooning over his true love, wooing her and delighting her, God is wooing you. He's delighting in you. He's able to restore. and He's able to redeem. All right? He's really, truly, amazingly seeing you as flawless, not because you actually physically are, because we all know, like, I have all these flaws over me, but we think about the physical, and God says, I've covered all of that. I see you through my eyes, not through yours. And that's the beautiful message of the gospel and of any of our lives that are fully and completely and totally surrendered to God, that we can have that. All right. So did you forget about the dittos? No. <laughs> you want to know what happened with the dittos? All right. So you remember how I had walked in and I uh, stuck my foot in my big, fat, sassy mouth. And uh, I saw this mess of fabric and my mom and the paper and the pins. And she's sprawled out on the floor. And she's just trying her best to be a good Proverbs 31 mom, which she really was. Well, I didn't make any more comments after that day. And in a few days, mom was done and it was time to try on the dittos. <laughs> and guess what I slipped them on I looked myself up and down in the mirror and they fit perfectly I mean like they were made for me you know because they were <laughs> and they were nice and snug where they should be and they were flaring out at the ankles and then I turned around to see my backside and you know the signature look I talked about about Edito's coming up right yeah <clears throat> up and around to your middle of your bum yeah, she didn't quite get that part right. <laughs> they went up and then out to the side. <laughs> and um, they, it was hysterical. I turned around and she looked and went, oh, what am I doing? She's like, she flipped the pattern somehow and it all went up and, and, and out. Awful, awful, completely awful. Uh, you were probably expecting me to say, see, I just trusted God. I trusted my mom and everything turned out just fine. No, it doesn't turn out fine. You got weird genes now. You're weird ask. <laughs> it worked out perfectly. We did not plan that. But you know what? Here's the deal, ladies. As awful as they were, guess what? I wore them. I wore them to school. I wore jeans like that to school as a junior high kid. That was right. I was proud of my mom. I wore those. I was cool. Everyone talked about it. We had a family joke. We still talk about that to this day. And it became this family story. It's one of the best reminders in real life of the way that God woos us and restores us and doesn't make everything perfect. And everything else still happens anyway. God still loves us. Everything's good. We can still trust him. But you got your jeans. You're looking like this. And we're all walking around like that to some extent. It's not that coming together 
under the banner of God's love makes everything perfect this side of heaven. Amen? Amen. It's not going to be so perfect. My marriage certainly has not been. But that's not what restoration means. That's not the point of God wooing us. God woos so that he can restore what our enemy wants to destroy. God woos so that he can bring us to his truth. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, you are good. You love us. And sometimes we can be kind of tone deaf to that because we hear it. We sing it. We read it. We go to church about it. We even come to retreats to hear it. God, help us to really receive that truth today in a fresh way. Just poke at our heart. Help us to really see and know the truth about who you are, God. And forgive us, Father, when we we slip and we just make it about the, the little cute Bible verses and the little cute this and the little motivational things, and we diminish the glory and the power and the truth and the living nature of your word Help us to be women who truly value you and your word. And Lord, I pray right now for every woman in this room whose heart is aching and broken and done and exhausted. I pray, God, that you would come around her, that she would feel your supernatural love and your healing. God, let your grace flow through us and in us and around us. And help us to be those kind of women who come alongside and aren't satisfied with relationships that are just trite and surfacey, help us to come alongside and just really move in and, and press in and really get to know one another <laughs> under the banner of your love. Lord, we give you the rest of this day today as we move on to our, our reflection time and as, our, as we go through walks and our devotional and our prayers and even our lunch and fellowship times with each other. Help us to really start to get that truth. We thank you for the power of your word and how it's united us and reminded us of your love for us today. And we ask your continued blessing on this retreat. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.